Well, good morning. Having a good Labor Day weekend so far? Good. You look good. I mean, you look great. Um, It's great to have you here this morning. We are continuing a series, in fact, finishing a series in the book of James. The series is called Practical Wisdom for Every Day. And last week, uh, Brandon Bernard did, did a great job. We're going to talk a little bit about one thing that he said in the first part uh, of, of chapter 4 of James. But today, what I'm going to do is the second half of chapter 4 and all of chapter 5 so we can conclude the series in James. So uh, if you know anything about the way I preach, that means you are going to be late to lunch is what that means because we're doing a chapter and a half. And that should take me between two and a half and three hours. So um, if you probably need to hydrate or, or uh, excuse yourself to the washroom now. Um, no, we are going to get done on time. We're doing the second half of, of four and all of five today to wrap up our series in James. And today we're going to be talking about it. We're talking about this word it. I love this word it because it can refer to just about anything you want it to refer to. I looked up some definitions. These are just dictionary definitions of the word it this week. So it uh, can refer to a thing previously mentioned or easily identified. That is to say a room with two beds in it. It refers to the room. So it can refer to something that the sentence has already referred to or something that has happened in the past or transpired in the past. It could refer to your past, your broken marriage, your financial ruin, that choice that you made in the past that you don't want to tell your spouse about, that choice that you made in the past that you don't want to tell your employer about, it can refer to those things in the past. It can also refer to a person, uh, e.g., for example, it's me. This is how I was woken up just a couple of days ago, in bed, fast asleep, 6.45 in the morning. Get a little tap, tap, tap right there on my forehead. Open my eyes. My four-year-old's face is right up against my face like this. Nose is almost touching. And she goes, it's me. I said, who else would it be? So it can refer to you, your identity, who you are inside. It can refer to you personally. It can also refer to uh, the circumstances or situation in which you find yourself or things in general. No one can stay here, for example. It, that is to say the circumstances and situation are too dangerous now. Whatever that circumstance you find yourself in, whether it is, again, financial challenges or difficulty, whether it's your mental health, whether it's an emotional uh, breakdown or wreck, whether it's your children have gone wayward and God bless them, they are completely off the rails. Whatever the situation or circumstances you face today, that word it can be used to refer to those things. It can refer to something in the past. It can refer to you. It can refer to your situation or circumstances. And what James wants to talk about us, to talk with us about today is this word it. And James wants to lift our gaze and our focus from it towards eternity. He wants to keep us from getting so focused on what's right there in front of us and the here and now and the tyranny of the urgent and that which is immediate and so focused on things that are not going to last forever and focus our eyes and hearts on the living God who does live forever and his eternal purpose for you such that 
it changes the way you live each and every day. So here's what Brandon said last week that I thought was brilliant. Did, did Brandon not do a great job last week, by the way? Give up for Brandon. Amazing. So here's the point that Brandon made from the first half of James chapter 4. He says, wisdom is the right application of right thinking. Okay? So right thinking says the stove is hot. The right application is don't touch the stove. So those are two different things. You might not know or you might know but not apply. Application is wisdom. It's a right application of right thinking. And so James wants to continue this conversation about wisdom and say, okay, specifically speaking, here's a couple of things in terms of wisdom and right application of right thinking that we can talk about. He picks it up in verse 13. He says, come now, you who say. And I love this little phrase right here, come now, because he's going to use it twice, and James is calling us to like lean in. He's like, hey, 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 come here. Come here. This is you and me. Let's just be honest. Nobody else is listening. Come on now. Come on. Talk to me here. Talk to me. And you know, I want to talk to the people that say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a city, spend a year there, and make a profit. My, we have a lot of plans, don't we? Now, we, we know when we're going to do it, today, or if you're a procrastinator tomorrow. Thanks, James, for uh, looping the procrastinators in there. We will go, here's the action verb, to such and such a town, that's the location. Spend a year there, that's the timeline, and do business and make a profit. Because we know for the next year the economy's not going to crash, and I'm not going to lose my business, and all that stuff. I've got all the plans laid out and all the details. I've heard it said before, you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. All right? James says, come on, talk to me. You say that, and you've got all these plans, but your life, what is your life? You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This word mist is great. Because it's not like fog, right? Like fog sits on the ground and it's heavy and it's there. It's not like fog. Mist is like, you know what, you know the, you know what the kids are doing? They're smoking the e-cigarettes. You know what I'm talking about? Vape. Have you heard of the word vape? They're vaping. They're smoking the e-cigs, the kids, the jewels. They smoke the jewels. Okay. How many of you don't know what that is? Okay. Praise God. Great. How many of you do know what that is? Under 30. Awesome. Um, can I just, this has nothing to do with James. Can I just tell you something real quickly about vaping? That's about the dumbest picking thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It's so stupid. Stupid. You look, you look foolish. Okay, let's talk about James. Um, it's like, I don't, like, I don't want to have to smoke a cigarette. Let me just get, what other creative ways, what other creative ways can I get addictive substances into my body? Right? I don't, I don't like the heat from the cigarette. I don't, so I vape. Better for you. It's part of my new commitment to health and wellness, trying to drink a lot of Red Bull and, and, and vape. That's what I do. And we get it. You toss clouds, brah. You're awesome. You are so cool, and you look older, right? That's awesome. And it disappears that quick. That's what James wants us to see in our head. He says, that's what your life is like, and it's gone. And it's gone. If, if, if you don't watch real close, you're going to miss it. That's how quick it goes away. So what's up with all these plans? 
He says, you're like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. He says, instead, what you ought to say is if the Lord wills. And this is not like you add this caveat to everything you say all the time. Like, we're going to go to lunch later at um, Swiss Chalet, God willing. Like, that's not, that's not what that is. That's not what James said. He said that everything you do and everything you think and all the plans you make should have this kind of undercurrent, this foundation that I'm not in control, that God is in control. He says, if the Lord wills, we will live or die or do this or that. As it is, just making all these plans, that's boasting and arrogance, and such boasting is evil. He, he just calls a spade a spade. He says, Forever, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Now watch this. A lot of people use this verse out of context. And they say, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's a sin. And that's true. Sins of omission are just as bad as sins of commission. That's right. But James is talking very specifically right here. He says, you know the right thing to do, which is to honor the God of the universe in everything you do. It's to acknowledge that he is sovereign and you are not, that he is king and you are not, that he is eternal and you're like a mist that disappears. And if you don't do that, you're sinning. So what James is talking to us about right here in the, first, in the second half of chapter four, he says, whatever it is for you, whatever it is, it's your marriage, it's that other person, it's consequences and outcomes, it's diagnoses, it's your financial situation, it's your business, it's the global economy, it's what's going on across the world right now. No matter what it is, you cannot control it. Try as you may, you will never control it. You, your plans are just your plans. And he's not railing against the plan, he's railing against how you talk about the plan. As if you are in total control, as if you are completely reliant on yourself and you don't need God or anybody else around you. He's railing against that. He's saying, you are not in control. You're like a vapor. You're like a mist. You're going to be gone and everyone's going to forget you. Love you. Hugs and kisses. But that's true. You're going to be gone. I went on sabbatical. Some of you guys don't know this. I went on sabbatical, I don't know, a year and a half ago or something like that. And I was just at a point where I was burnt out, like in a lot of ways, spiritually, emotionally, whatever. And I just needed to just be away for a little bit. And I prayed while I was on sabbatical. And, and, and that happened. I went on sabbatical for a lot of different reasons. One of those reasons, one, was this right here. That word, control. I love control, boy. I love control like a lot and I want to control myself I want to control the way my body looks I want to control my diet I want to control the people because most of the people are stupid so I want to control them like that's how my brain works not you people people who aren't here today it's them you guys are great so I just, I want, to, I want to control all the time. And, and there was a couple of things. I don't know if you've ever felt this where you feel like God is speaking to you, not an audible voice, but just something in your soul. And God was like, you can't control it. And I'm like, it, what can that refer to? What does that mean? What is it? And he says, you choose. Pick whatever you want. Whatever it is, you can't control it. And I want to lift that weight from your shoulders today if I can. That illusion of control you want to control people, you want to control your spouse, you want to control that kid that's gone off the rails, you want to control your financial situation. This does not mean you don't make plans. This does not mean you don't have a job. This does not mean you don't wrap your 
arm around your kid that's 20 years old and say, you see what pastor said about vaping? That's weird. Stop it. That doesn't mean that. doesn't mean you don't do those things. What it means is that you say to yourself, I am not in control of anything. I'm like a vapor. But I acknowledge the one who is in control. James goes on. He says, come now. See, there it is again. See that phrase again? Now he's talking to a different group. Hey, come on. Listen in now. Listen in. Those of you who think you can control it, talk to you already. Now I want to talk to the rich. And he's not just talking to people with a lot of money. And just real quickly, um, if you can hear my voice right now, if, if James was talking to people with a lot of money, he would be talking to you. Because relatively speaking... You might just say, oh my gosh, like I don't have a lot of money. I'm very, very poor. In fact, on the way in this morning, I had to get a grande and not a venti because I, don't, I didn't have the money. Like you're rich, okay? Relatively speaking across the globe, relatively speaking across the centuries, you are rich. But James is not necessarily talking to people with a lot of money. He's talking to people who abuse it. And he's talking about people who oppress others and talking about people who withhold wages. He's talking about people who abuse their wealth. I'll show you in a minute, but I want you to know that's who he's talking to. He says, weep and howl. That's another Old Testament allusion, right? For repentance, be sorry for, be upset over what? The miseries that are coming upon you. Yeah, this is not a misspelling of miniseries. No, it's miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Don't you love that picture, that word picture? And then he says, your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you, evidence against you, and you will eat, and they, sorry, and, and will eat your flesh like fire. <laughs> he says funny stuff. Like who reads that and goes, very encouraging, right? <laughs> You've laid up treasure in the last days. Here's what James is saying. You have amassed for yourself wealth and physical, tangible things. But those things will be eaten by moths. They'll be eaten up by rust. They will be corroded. They will be destroyed. And one day, when Jesus comes back on the day of judgment, the more things that you had in this life, the more rust that you'll have to show for it. Does that make sense? And God will go, what's up with all this rust? And you'll go, well, I had a whole bunch of stuff in this life, temporary stuff. I didn't invest in eternal things. And he was going to go, the more rust you have, the more evidence there is that you invested in the wrong stuff in this life. Um, there's this face that my, that my wife makes um, when there's something that I need to do that's too disgusting for her to do. And it's this face right here. Again, and I know, I always know there's something coming. Like in our old house, we used to have mouse traps, right? For those of you who ever came over to eat at my old house, hope you're well. And um, <laughs> we used to have mouse traps, and I would come home and I would see Amy do this. I'm like, there's a mouse trap, isn't there? There's a mouse in a trap. Yeah, there is. So I had to go get it, take care of it. So I come home, we're in a new place, right? We've been there a little over a month, and um, I come home the other day, and she's doing the thing, right? Like, I didn't know we had mice here, right? What, what happened? She goes, our compost. <laughs> Maggots. I go out to our green bin. You ever have the green bin? You can hardly see green. It's just covered in maggots and larvae. 
oh, it was awesome. So I took the green bin and I took it uh, over to my neighbor's lawn and I just sprayed it, (laughs) sprayed it off, all gone, put it back in our garage. Easy peasy, no problem. Um, So when you think of amassing earthly wealth and amassing things that are only going to last for this life, I would like you to think of my compost bin. One day it's going to be corroded. One day it's going to be eaten by maggots and moths. It's not going to last. You can't take it with you. James says, behold, the, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields when you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the Lord of hosts. It's very, very interesting here because here's what James is doing. He's saying, rich people, you hired some folks to do your, mow your grass, right? Mow your fields. And rather than paying them immediately, you delayed payment so that you could hold on to that money for a time and earn interest on it and get more wealth for yourself rather than paying them immediately so that they could invest that money and get interest for themselves. And because they're poor and under-resourced, you've kept these, uh, these wages back by fraud because they're poor and under-resourced. They can't litigate. They can't do anything to you. And so they're just waiting on their wages. Side note, you own a business, you employ some people, pay them in a timely way. That's the first thing James saying. Pay them in a timely way. Don't withhold that so you can leverage it and use the interest. Pay them because those uh, withholdings that you've committed fraud against them will cry out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Like God sees that, what you're doing. Maybe, Maybe your bookkeeper doesn't. Maybe your spouse doesn't. Maybe other people. But God does. And it's more evidence against you that you've not invested in the right things. You've lived in luxury, James says. Next slide, please. You've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. See, he does not resist you because he has no way to. He doesn't have any money to resist you. I love this, I love this illustration. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Right? It's like you put a hundred pigs in a pen, and there's this one pig that's just eating everybody, everybody else's food. Right? Just eating, 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 eating. You get really, really fat. And then somebody like me comes in and I say, I want to have a pig roast. Give me that skinny one. No. Which pig do you want? The fat one. Right? It's like, you think all this eating is doing you good, all this self indulgence is doing you good. No, you're fattening your hearts for the day of slaughter. Because one day Jesus is going to come back and there will be a judgment day. So don't focus on it. Focus on the eternal. James says to us, whatever it is, whatever it is, it won't survive. That shirt, that car, that boat, that cottage, that Gucci, those jeans, they will be gone, consumed by fire. They will not survive. I Googled this week um, ridiculous celebrity purchases just so that we could take an opportunity to compare ourselves to others and feel better about ourselves. So um, I wanted to share with you a couple of these. Uh, one of them, this is, uh, this is a tomb here in New Orleans. 
Uh, this, is, this is a nine-foot pyramid tomb that Nicolas Cage bought for himself. Nine feet tall. He wanted to be buried like an Egyptian pharaoh. And Nicolas Cage has bought like, he, he bought like an island and a peacock. Like, does anyone own a peacock? Sweet. Um, just, I have this sermon illustration. I need a peacock later in the year, but I'm, t- I'm totally kidding. Um, so Nicolas Cage buys this tomb for himself. It's in New Orleans. He, he bought a dinosaur skull once. Like, who needs a dinosaur? Like, what do you use that for, a coffee table? Like, what is, what, who buys that? And he wrote Omnia Ab Uno, which means all from one, in like a non-language. It's a mixture of like Tagalog and English and Latin. It's like, that's not even a language. And this is where Nicolas Cage is going to be buried. And he bought it for, and I quote, an undisclosed amount. You know what that means? That means more than $20 US. That's what that means. Okay. Number two, ridiculous purchase. This is a Mercedes Swift tail. This currently is the second most expensive car on the planet. The reason I didn't show you the most expensive car on the planet is because there's not even pictures of that car's interior yet. Uh, You can uh, Google this one, Mercedes Swift tail. You can actually see the interior. And on the interior of this vehicle, okay, side note, by the way, this is a very nice vehicle. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. (laughs) $16 million vehicle, very choice. $16 million U.S., so that's like 92 Canadian. So um, in the console of this vehicle, in the console, there, instead of like a place for your coffee cup and your change, like who's driving a swift tail and is like, I just have a lot of change? Like nobody, they're, like, they're looking for places to put their bills, right? They're looking for places to make it rain. So in the console of the, of the thing, there's a place to, I'm not kidding you. This is not an exaggeration. Just, it's, it's so funny to me, it's hard to even get out of my mouth. There's a, there's a place to cool your champagne bottle and your two champagne glasses. Just in case you want to get a little liquored up and drive around, it makes it easy for you. Thank you, Mercedes. Third purchase here. These are $100,000 leggings that Beyonce purchased. I did not show a picture of Beyonce up here on the screen wearing these leggings for obvious reasons, men of God. But uh, this is someone else wearing those very same leggings. They're $100,000 leggings that she bought for the VMAs. And look, I love Beyonce. Like, I love Beyonce. Lemonade's a great record. Single Ladies, as Kanye once said, is the greatest video of all time. All time, okay? That, uh, the greatest video of all time. I love her husband, Jay-Z. Great guy. Like, very, like, I'm very into Beyonce. But who spends $100,000 so their legs can look like C-3PO? Like, I don't, I don't understand. And that's fine. Like, if you've got the, if you've got the, if you have a Mercedes Swift tail and you would like a driver, let me know. Holla at your boy. I'm very safe. But look, listen, you know what all those things have in common? Maggots. They're going to rust. They're going to corrode. They're not going to make it. Moth and rust are going to eat them up. Whatever it is, whatever it is, it won't survive. James says, so lift your eyes away from it. Look towards eternity. Let that change your decision making. Then he says, watch this, be patient, therefore, brothers. Anytime you see a therefore in the scripture, you ask yourself, what? What is it? Okay, what? See, here's the reason, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. 
Again, see, he's pointing us forward. He's pointing us toward eternity. He's pointing us to the future. He said, don't let the tyranny of the urgent here and now make all your decisions for you. And I got to have this, that, and the other thing. And I got to have it right now. He says, point to the coming of the Lord and be what? Patient. And he says it so many times. Patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the what? Coming of the Lord. There it is again. Is at hand. Do not grumble against each other, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is coming back. He's going to crack open the sky and he's going to judge the living and the dead. So put your eyes on that and not the it that's in front of you. As an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, watch this. It's, it's, it's critical here that we understand the illustration that James is about to use. Because again, he's not railing against the rich. He's railing against people who abuse power and abuse their wealth and don't invest in eternal things. Because he's about to use Job, who was very, very rich, as a good example here. Okay? So it's not, it's not a bad thing to be rich. Because he's about to use a rich guy as a good example, you see? So his issue is not the plan, it's how you talk about the plan. His issue is not your riches, it's how you use your riches. His issue is your control, his issue is your perceived control, his issue is your power and authority, his issue is your abuse of your power and authority. James goes on, he says, look at this example. Next slide. He says, behold, we consider the, uh, those blessed who remained steadfast. Once again, patience. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. All the wealth in the world, and it was taken from him in an instant. His family, his cattle, his land, all his money, everything. And he remained patient. Why? Because he wasn't focused on the it that's right in front of him. He was focused on eternity. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all brothers, James says, do not swear either by heaven, by earth, or by, or, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. I would encourage you to take James chapter 5, verse 12, and study this one on your own. It's outstanding. Spectacular. And what James is saying through all, this, all these words about patience and waiting and steadfastness, he's saying whatever it is, whatever it is, what you can do, we talk about what you can't do. You can't control it. You can't take it with you when you go. It won't survive. But what you can do is wait for it. Is wait for it. And for some of us, we're thinking, man, that's the worst advice I've ever heard. Like, I want to get married. What, what can't, well, I, I can't control it. I can't make it happen. Yeah, you can wait for it, for the plans and purposes of God, because he's compassionate and gracious and merciful. I, I, I just really want to start my career and get that going, and I can't move that forward any quicker. Right, what you can do is be patient because here's the thing God controls the timing of these deals and we think that we have moved beyond the childish and childlike ways that we had when we were four but we haven't I have this conversation with my kid all the time, and I know I use Kaya as an example on a regular basis, but she's five, and she talks to me about treats. Daddy, can I have a treat? Daddy, can I have a treat? Yeah, baby, you can have a treat. But, like, here's the thing. You can either have a treat now that's, like, not good. She chose yesterday or two days ago as a treat. It's like, 
was these like five marshmallows on a stick. And they were, they were very, it's like they were made of Teflon, you know? I mean, leathery and covered in like yellow sugar. And they would have survived a nuclear attack. That's what she chose. And I told her, like, later in the day, you can have ice cream or you can have this now. What did she choose? Now, right? And I'm like, babe, just wait. Wait for ice cream later today. Well, how long will it be? I don't know, two, three hours? This is her question every time. Literally, these words come out of her mouth. Is that a short time or a long time? Like, I don't know what to tell you. It's three hours. Time is relative, babe. It's a complicated question. I don't do that. Like, I don't know. And, and here we are. Here we are knowing that God is good and he has plans for us. And we're going, but, but, but what about now? And he goes, if you just wait and like, ah, I think I'm going to settle for the Teflon marshmallows. This leathery, second-rate, garbage clone of something that's actually good just because we want it now. That's silly. We're just like Kaya. We think we've grown beyond that, but we haven't. We haven't. And God comes along and goes, I've got good things in store. You just got to hold tight. Sit on your hands and wait. James goes on. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Call for the elders of the church and then let, him, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Side note here, just in case you are sick, we do this here. You can come to the church office. We'll set you up with some elders. We'll anoint you with oil and pray over you. It's happened on a regular basis. Our elders would call that a joy. We also have prayer partners down here after every service that would love to pray for you about whatever you want prayer for. You don't even have to share your prayer requests. It's happened before. The people have come down and say, I want, to, to, I want somebody to pray for me. And I say, about what? And they say, you, you do it. I don't know. You pray. Okay, cool. We'll pray. We'll pray for anything. We would love to do that for you. And what James is saying here is not going through these specific things about like, if you're sick, pray. And if you're cheerful, pray. And then that's about the only time you should pray. He's saying, no, no, no. Under any circumstances, call out to God. And he says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Listen, God always heals. Always, every time. Now watch this. Watch this. When your body is sick and you pray for healing... God heals in one of two ways. Sometimes he heals your body. Sometimes he gives you a new body. And that's on the other side of glory. God always answers that question. We've prayed for healing for people in this congregation before, and then I've stood right back here on this platform and officiated their funeral. And their body is healed now. No more sickness, no more pain. God did heal. The prayer of faith did raise that person up. But we whine and complain like, oh, God, you know, I want you to fix my 1986 Lumina. It's like, well, how about I just give you a Mercedes Swift tail? But I really want the Lumina. And some of us are walking around in a tent, in a body. It's not going to last forever. And, oh, God, please fix my Lumina. And God says, one day that Lumina is just going to run out. And I'm going to give you a Swift tail. Maybe not with the champagne thing in the koozie, right? But you're going to get a new body. The prayer of faith does heal, but God gets to choose how he does that. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Bring your sin before God, too, that you may be healed. That is from your sin. 
the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. And we think to ourselves, I'm not that. I'm not a righteous man. Well, i got to call somebody righteous, so I'm going to call Lucas, right? Because like, I think that he's got this red phone in his office, and he just picks it up, and he hits the G thing, and there's God on the other line. And like that's how this works. And, and James says, no, 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 no. Consider Elijah, right? Consider Elijah. He was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months, and it didn't rain because he prayed. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, I love this little caveat that James has. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He's just like you. And people just like you have prayed for things, and God has answered the cry of their heart. Now, in my lifetime, there have been things that I have longed for. And I've brought before God in prayer. I've longed for people in my life who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus for the first time. I've longed for God to help certain friends of mine get sober off of really significant substances. And I've brought those things before God. And I pray fervently and I pray passionately. And then at some point, my prayer kind of tends to wane. Has that ever happened to you? So you're longing for something. You're longing for God to bring you a spouse. You're longing for a child. You're longing for that person in your life to come back to God. You're longing for a restored relationship with somebody. There's these deep heart desires. And we pray for them and then it wanes. And James is saying, look, here's the problem. You're focused on the it, the circumstances that are right in front of you. And circumstances don't look good. So your prayer life starts to wane. And you don't call on the Lord quite as much. And he says, may I just lift your chin up so that you see eternity. And you see the purposes of God in making all things new and restoring all things. And satisfying those longings of your heart. So it changes us to be people people of prayer because our perspective has changed. And rather than getting frustrated with the here and now that's not working out quite like we wanted it to, we lift our countenance up and we focus our hearts and our eyes on the King of Kings and it causes us to be people of prayer. James concludes his book this way. He says, my brothers, if anyone wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins, And this is how James concludes his book. This is the fourth thing James wants us to know. He says, whatever it is, you can't control it. Whatever it is, it won't survive. Whatever it is, you can wait for it. And whatever it is, you can pray for it. You can call out to God. You may not be able to fix circumstances just like you want to. You may not be able to wrap your arm around that 20-year-old and say, you've got to come back to this kind of side of the equation and get your life in order. You might not be able to control your spouse and beg them to come back into a relationship, either physically or emotionally. You may not be able to cause your marriage to work. You may not be able to control your financial life and your job. You may not be able to do any of that, but what you can do is call on a God who is good and has good things for you and has good gifts for you and has a purpose for you. And I'm so glad that Jenna sang that song this morning. So brilliant because it reminds us that the purpose of the good news about Jesus is not Jesus came to die so you could go to heaven when you do. 
But Jesus came to die, resurrect, and ascend into heaven such that he would inaugurate a kingdom. And one day he will come back and all of those longings of our hearts will be fulfilled. That longing to be totally loved and totally known. That longing for meaningful work. That longing for relationship. That longing for restoration. All will come back in the consummation of the kingdom. And until then, we keep our eyes focused on eternity and not on the it that's right in front of us so that we are people of fervent prayer. We'll conclude with this. Uh, C.S. Lewis was one of the greatest uh, Christian minds of the 20th century, uh, quite possibly even one of the greatest Christian minds uh, of all time, really, of of the ages. And C.S. Lewis was brilliant for a number of reasons, but he wrote apologetics, like defending the faith, and he wrote philosophy books, and he wrote some theology stuff, and he wrote his own personal experience in a book called uh, Surprised by Joy and a book called A Grief Observed. But I think uh, one of the most brilliant things C.S. Lewis was able to do was write fiction, like, uh, you know, uh, mystical kind of, you know, imaginative tales that helped us understand real things and the reality that we experience each and every day. One of those books you probably heard of is the Chronicles of Narnia, right? A movie came out a couple years ago and you went to see it at Christmas time or whatever. So there's this conversation in the Chronicles of Narnia between the antagonist, like the evil, you know, person that everybody doesn't like. Her name is the White Witch. And she's talking to these kids and what she's trying to convince them of is that the world that she controls is the only world. The world that she controls is the only thing that you need to pay attention to, the only thing that you need to worry about. Don't worry about the world to come. Don't worry about the supernatural world. Don't worry about the future. You just worry about the here and now and what I control. And here's how she does it. She asks the kids to explain to her. She goes, could you help me understand what that thing called the sun is in the sky? And the kids, Jill and a couple others, respond to her. And they they say, well, the sun I mean, I can't see, I mean, I can see it, but I can't touch it. I can't wrap my head around it. I don't totally understand it. I know it's there. So the sun is kind of like a lamp. You see the lamp on the table and it lights up and it's on a stand. Well, the sun is kind of on a stand and it's out there, but we're not sure what the stand is or whatever. So here's what the white witch says. You see, when you try to think out clearly what this sun must be, you cannot tell me. You can only tell me it's like the lamp. Your sun is a dream. And there's nothing in that dream that was not copied from the lamp. The lamp is the real thing. The sun is just a children's story. You see, the white witch is saying, you focus on the here and now, that which you can understand and wrap your mind around. You focus on the it that's right in front of you. Don't lift your countenance towards the eternal. That's not the real thing. What's right in front of you is the real thing. And Jill responds to the white witch, and she's like, okay, but okay, um, what about Aslan? The lion, the Jesus character in the story, he's real. What about him? And the white witch responds this way. She says, a lion is just an imagined cat. Bigger and better than the real thing. You can put nothing into your make-believe without copying it from the real world, this world of mine, which is the only world. See, here's the thing. Both in C.S. Lewis' Chronicles of Narnia and a fictional tale and in our truth nonfiction, real world, one of the uh, most effective tools of the enemy is to get you to believe that what you experience on a day-in, day-out basis is all there is. Is what's most important. 
that, that the supernatural, the eternal, the spiritual, that's all kind of make-believe. That's all kind of shadows. And we live in the real world. And the real world kind of casts shadows, but it's not really real. Everything that you can smell, touch, taste, and see, and feel, that's the real world. And that's what you need to focus your time and attention on. And C.S. Lewis, through the White Witch in this conversation, comes along and says, no, 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 no. We live in the shadow lands now, and what's to come, that's real. And we see little glimpses of heaven, and we see glimpses of heaven in our relationships, and glimpses of heaven in our meaningful work, glimpses of heaven in our worship, and in our community, and sitting around a table together. But that what's to come, that's what's real. This is all going to be eaten by maggots. So let me lift your chin, James says, and C.S. Lewis says, away from the it that's right in front of you, whatever it is, and focus your eyes on eternity. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for this time that we've had uh, over the last several weeks, even months, to uh, study the book of James, thank you, God, for preserving this letter to the church that your half-brother 2,000 years ago, I always forget that, Jesus, your half-brother wrote this to the church. Thank you that it's been preserved and translated so we can study it today. God, we've talked about so many things in this study in the book of James and talked about practical wisdom for every day and taming our tongue and considering it pure joy and adopting an eternal perspective. God, so many things. Would you... Just supernaturally root those truths into our hearts so that we become people who reflect the character and priorities of Christ in all that we do. God, may we look a little bit more like Jesus when we walk out of here today than when we walked in. God, uh, we need your spirit to gently touch us on the chin and lift our head away from the immediate, away from the tyranny of the urgent, away from the it that seems most important and focus our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. God, would you focus our gaze on you today? In Christ's name, God's people together said,